0: If you would, please remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, we're going to be looking at verses 26 through 39. Luke 8, verses 26 through 39. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. Do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country, the Gerasenes, asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat, and he returned. The man from whom the demons had had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home, and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. The grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord remains forever. You may be seated. And as you do, if you would please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Well, I wanted to begin this morning by saying... Thank you. Uh, As you know, uh, Bill Dempsey and I spent this last week at the General Assembly in Houston, and it was a great week for me. Um, I really enjoyed being able to go there, uh, not just spending the time with Bill, uh, but also um, being a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Um, It was a beautiful thing. how Psalm one hundred thirty three says how beautiful it is uh, when when brothers dwell together in unity. And I want you to know that we are a part of a denomination that is staying close to its roots. And we are a part of a denomination that is faithful to its motto, which is faithful to the scriptures, true to the reformed faith, obedient to the Great Commission. Uh, we are part of a denomination that is well run. Um, the deliberations that, that proceeded this past week uh, actually ended on Thursday evening. They were scheduled to go to, to Friday at around noon, but instead they ended Thursday before dinner. Uh, it was well run. Our moderator this year was Dr. Brian Chappell. He is the former president of uh, Covenant Theological Seminary. He now pastors a church in Peoria, Illinois. Uh, He wrote a textbook that was used um, called Christ-Centered Preaching. It was used when I was in seminary for my uh, preaching courses. Uh, He did a great job of of keeping it light, cracking jokes uh, when appropriate to keep the mood light. And... um, I want to report to you that uh, we are part of a denomination that uh, is is strong because we hold fast to the Scriptures. We uphold the authority uh, of God's Word. And throughout the deliberations, you could tell uh, that God's Word was held in high esteem, that it is authoritative, and it guides and directs our denomination. So I want you to be encouraged. Encouraged by being in the PCA. Not only that, but it was a great time of renewal for me. And I thank you for being kind and gracious, allowing me to be able to go to the General Assembly. The fact that it is built into our church budget uh, to send me to our Assembly, um, I am extremely appreciative of that. And uh, it's an encouragement and a support. I was able to meet with uh, former pastors, uh, some some friends that I had made while I was in Augusta, some from seminary. It was it was really a great time of renewal. Uh, there was several great worship services that we were able to attend, uh, great preaching, and uh, and seminars that that encouraged bounce be able to bounce ideas off of other pastors and leaders. And I want to report that I come back to you as a better pastor because of it. And I thank you uh, for sending me and being able to go. But this morning, as we're going through the book of Luke, we've gotten to chapter 8. And as you know, as we've been going through this book of Luke, last week we were looking at uh, the time when Jesus calmed the storm. He grabbed his disciples and he said, let's go to the other side of the lake. And as they were going, a huge storm came up. And Jesus quieted the storm and they continued to go on and they reached the other side. Now I want you to understand that as they're going to the other side, they're going into Gentile territory. And in more ways than one, they're going into enemy territory. When Jesus told His disciples, let's go to the other side, they knew where they were heading. They knew that they weren't going to be among their brothers anymore, among the Jewish people. They knew that they were heading over to the side of the Gentiles. And they may be a little nervous about that. Why are we going over there? But they go. And when they land, they meet a man who is possessed by a legion of demons. He's a scary guy. And everyone there is afraid of him. But the irony of this story is that the ones who are truly afraid are the demons. The demons are afraid of Jesus. And Jesus goes on to heal the man and he allows these demons to be uh, be transferred into the herd of pigs. And as you know, the herd of pigs rushes down the hillside and into the water where they're drowned. It is obvious here that we are in Gentile territory because no Jew in their right mind would have a herd of pigs. We know that according to to Jewish law, pigs were unclean. So Jews did not have pigs. We're obviously in Gentile territory here. And these pigs are all drowned when the demons enter into them. And you see how the crowd reacts to this, to the the healing, and to the pigs drowning. The herdsmen of the pigs go and they start to tell everybody about it in the country and in the city. And the people are afraid of Jesus because of what has just happened. And they want Jesus to leave. They're afraid of His power and what He has done. They're afraid of what happened to the pigs. But the former man who was formerly possessed by the demons, he's not afraid. He wants to stay with Jesus. But instead, Jesus tells him to go home and to go be a witness. Jesus tells him to go and tell everyone what had been done for him, what Jesus had done for him. So before digging deep into this passage, there's two topics that I want to touch on briefly. Some, some things that, that usually raise a lot of questions as we read this passage. And uh, I want to touch on them briefly before we move on. The first thing is demons. This, this thing about demon possession. It often raises a lot of questions. And when it comes to demons and to demon possession, there usually are two dangers. Two things that we need to avoid. And that is focusing too much attention on it or focusing too little attention on it. First of all, too much. We don't have to worry about demons being every under every rock, and behind every tree, and around every corner. This isn't the case. Demons aren't behind every sin that we commit. A lot of times we we like to use the excuse, well, the, the devil made me do it. Or Satan made me do it. We use it as an excuse for our sins. But in reality, we don't need to use this excuse. Because we do a great job of sinning on our own. Because of our sinful nature, we don't always need the devil or demons to tempt us into sin. We do a great job of it by ourselves. And honestly, we don't need to go through life on alert, thinking that demons are always out to get us, that we need to be looking behind us, watching our back, because at any time we might be attacked by demons. This is not the case. We don't need to put so much emphasis on it. But we also shouldn't put too little emphasis either. We can't go through life never giving Satan and his followers a second thought. Because demons are real. Satan is real. And as Christians, the battle that we fight on a daily basis is not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. As it says in Romans 6, verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh, and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places our battle is spiritual and satan is real and demons are real we need to have a balance in this life and as we approach that balance we need to remind ourselves of what do we know to be true One, Satan is real. Demons are real. They can tempt us. They despise men. Because men are God's creation. Human beings are made in God's image. And they desire to tempt us to do evil. And as much as they hate and despise human beings... To hate Jesus even more, because what we know about demons and about Satan is that they are under the complete and utter control of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We see that very clearly in our passage this morning. So that's that's why we need to, how we need to approach demons: not putting too much emphasis, but not putting too little either. The second thing is this issue with the pigs. It, it seems. Uh, when I read through this passage, I always have this question of why? Why would Jesus allow these demons to go into this herd of pigs and suddenly they would run off the cliff and all drown? It just seems, it, it just seems to raise a lot of questions in my mind. Why, why, would, why would Jesus do this? Why would he allow this? Uh, as we mentioned before, according to, to Jewish law, pigs were unclean. So, is this because Jesus is a Jew and pigs are unclean, therefore he is, he is causing all these unclean animals to be drowned? Um, I don't think that that's the case here. And honestly, I'm not exactly sure. I did some research on it this past week, and uh, people are mixed about it. But here's what I, I think is, could be the case. It's possibly to physically display The act of freeing this man from demon possession. This man truly was possessed. And he was clearly set free. And we can see that he was clearly set free by what happened. The reaction to these pigs. What they had done. And that this man was suddenly now in his right mind. So it was a physical display of a a spiritual act. Not only that... But it was used by Jesus to expose the hearts of the crowd. He exposed the fact that they were more concerned with the pigs than they were about people. Because they were afraid of Jesus, that he had cast out these demons, that these pigs had drowned. They were more concerned about that than they were with this man who was now suddenly healed. He was set free. So those two things, the the demon possession and what happens to the pigs, those are interesting side notes. But I don't want those to take away from the thrust of our passage this morning. Jesus saved this man from the power and the presence of these demons. And Jesus saved him to be a witness for Christ. And Jesus does the same for us in our lives. Because of our sin, we are a mess. But Christ has come to rescue us from out of our sin, from out of our chaos. And He saves us from our sin and He puts us on a mission as witnesses of and for Christ. You would think after being at General Assembly this past week, after being amongst so many Presbyterians that I would come back and have a good three-point sermon for you this morning, but this morning we have two points. We have two points. One is that Jesus, what Jesus has saved us from, and what Jesus has saved us to. The fact that Jesus has saved us from our sin, and Jesus has saved us to a mission. So first of all, Jesus has what Jesus has saved us from. You know, Jesus saved this man, this man possessed by a demon, from the worst of conditions. Uh, let me take a moment to just paint a picture for you what this man was like. It had been a long time since this man had worn any clothes. He was naked, and he didn't live in a home. Instead, he lived among the tombs which was a, a place of, uh, of, of chaos, of uncleanliness uh, among the tombs there. And he was a man of unnatural strength. He was like, like Samson. He could not be bound by, by ropes or chains or by guards. Um, this man, his life was, was chaos because of these demons. He was like the beast in Beauty and the Beast. You know how in the beginning of the movie uh, of Beauty and the Beast, we, we see this character, the Beast, and he is chaotic. He is wild. He is scary. He has a temper. He has no manners. He is, he is aggressive. He is tearing at, at pictures on the wall. And this is what the man who was possessed by a demon was like. He is like the Beast in beauty, and the beast. But Jesus comes across the lake and He comes and heals him. It's very important for us to know that Jesus went across the lake to heal this man. Last week we talked about Jesus calming the storm and He tells His disciples, let's go across the lake. The storm rises up. uh, He quiets the storm. He goes, they land... He heals the demon-possessed man, and as we read at the end of our uh, our passage this morning, and then he leaves again. So Jesus went across the lake for this purpose, to heal this man who was possessed by a demon. He went into Gentile territory, and that's very important. He went to go get him. And when he was there, Jesus cast out the demons by his power. When Jesus landed on the other side of the lake, and when the demons saw who it was who was there, they immediately knew they were toast. They didn't even put up a fight. They knew that they did not stand a chance. So last night, we had the closing ceremonies, the, the final party for Elliot's Team, the Cubs. And we had a, a great year. We, we won a game. Uh, but more importantly, we had a lot of fun. And uh, it was a great, a great time. And so we, we gathered together last night to, to hand out trophies, to, to celebrate our season, and um, to just to, to celebrate one another. And so, as you know, Elliot is, is five, and so we had this five- and six-year-old t-ball team. So when Jesus showed up at the other side of the lake, it would be like if our t-ball team of five- and six-year-olds showed up to the field one day, and who would be there but the actual Chicago Cubs? It would be like if this group of five- and six-year-olds were playing t-ball against the professionals, we would show up and be, oh, we don't even stand a chance. That it, that's what it was like when Jesus showed up to these demons. They, didn't, they knew that they didn't have a chance. And when Jesus cast out these demons, it was nothing in the man himself that saved him or rescued him. Instead, it was Jesus who went to him. Jesus was the one who cast out the demons. This man's healing was completely and utterly an act of God through Christ. And Christ saves us in the exact same way. Because outside of Christ, we are like this man possessed by demons. We are are like the beast in Beauty and the Beast. We are chaotic. We are aggressive. Because we are ruled by our sin and by our sinful nature. As it says in John 8, verse 34, and in Romans chapter 6, we are slaves to our sin. And Christ comes to us in our sin and He rescues us from our sin. What Jesus does is that He comes across the lake of our hearts. He comes to us who are slaves to sin and He breaks the bonds of sin in our lives through His death on the cross. And Jesus sets us free and He restores us. But the question is, do we really see ourselves as the man possessed by demons in this story? I think one of the the issues that we have as Christians in our culture. Is that we often think that our situation wasn't as bad as this man. Well, well my situation wasn't quite that serious. Um, in other words, before I became a Christian, I, I really wasn't that bad. There wasn't much that, that Christ really needed to save me from. Because I wasn't really that bad of a person. But that's not true. It's a lie that we believe. Because of outside of Christ, we are all hostile towards God. We are all enemies of Him. As it says in Colossians 1, verse 21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. In the NIV, Translation, it it literally says there, enemies of God. It's so important for us to realize that apart from the grace of God, we are capable, we are like this man who is possessed by these demons. Because of our sin, we are capable of being openly hostile towards God. And because of our sin nature, we are capable of great and grievous sins. You know, so often we're surprised by the presence of sin inside of us or inside of other people. But in reality, sin should not surprise us at all. You know, we're often taken off guard guard by a a seemingly good person who commits a, a grievous sin. Uh, a marriage that seems to be the model of what a, a Christian marriage should be like when it's suddenly shattered by uh, unfaithfulness or, or adultery. Or a respected business uh, man is, is arrested for, uh, for improper business practices or insider trading or, or something like that. But when we understand the nature and the power of sin, that we are capable of great sin apart from Christ. We will become less less judgmental and more gracious to others in their sin. You know, in reality, the world has this view of Christians that we tend to be judgmental towards others. The world has this view of Christians that that sees us in, in relation to what we are against rather than what we are for. And this is sad because, as you know, Francis Schaeffer in his book, uh, The Marks of a Christian, says that the world should be able to pick out Christians by our love. The world should be able to see that we are Christians by the way that we love one another and that by the way that we love others. if we truly believe that if it weren't for the grace of God, we we would be capable of the same things, then we will show grace and forgiveness to others when they fall. We will also open up the opportunity for us to talk more about our sins and about our shortcomings, because we know that there is not one of us who is not a sinner capable of great sin. You know, if we're all stumbling and falling, why not talk about it rather than acting like we've got it all together? And this is one of my biggest issues. Often I approach life and I present myself as one or I desire to present myself as someone who's got it all together. When in reality, I don't. And I think we do ourselves a great disservice when we present ourselves as better than we actually are. You know, an amazing thing happens when we begin to be honest with one another in our sin. The seeds of the gospel begin to take root in our lives. The good news of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus starts to really take hold, growing within us. We begin to from going to from fellowship to actually having relationship with one another. It gives us the opportunity to to strengthen and encourage one another in our relationship with Christ. Because confession leads to repentance, repentance leads to faith, and faith leads to life in Christ. You know, I'm not advocating for this awkward oversharing, where we tell one another you know, our, all of our deepest, darkest secrets. That's not healthy. And I'm not advocating for that. But what is healthy and important is the acknowledgement that apart from Christ, we are all sinners. And we need to confess our sins to God and to one another. And you know what happens when we confess? It, it takes the spotlight off of ourselves and instead it places it on Christ. We display what John the Baptist so desired about Christ when he said in John chapter 3, verse 30, that he must increase. I must decrease. So that is what we have been saved from. Through the blood of Christ, we have been saved from our sins. And as Jesus shows us here in our passage this morning, not only has he saved us from, but he has also saved us to. He has saved us to a mission. Jesus sends this man who was possessed by a demon, formerly possessed by a demon, on a mission. And he sends him on a mission to his hometown. You know, after this man was healed, he wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to go with him. He was ready to leave everything behind and follow Jesus. I mean, this man had already lost everything. He had spent years living by himself. He was already alienated from his family and his friends, everything that he knew. And at that point, he just wanted to go and to be with Jesus. And how incredible would that have been, to be able to spend his time in the presence of Jesus. But Jesus says no. He says, I don't want you to come with me. Instead, Jesus sent him back to his hometown, to his family, to his friends, people that he had been alienated from, to be a witness for Christ there. And that's exactly what he did. He proclaimed throughout the whole city what Jesus had done for him. In reality, Jesus sent him on a difficult mission. It would have been much easier for him to, to leave all that stuff behind and to just simply go and follow Jesus. Jesus was calling him to be a light in a very dark place, in Gentile territory. To be the sole person, no one else around. uh, To be a witness for Christ there. In a very similar way, we are saved to go on mission as witnesses for Christ. You know, not all of us are like the disciples to leave everything behind and come and follow Jesus. In fact, most of us are like the man in this story. You know, Just a week ago, Tom and Karen, they landed in Japan. They're there. God has given them a calling in their life to leave this country, to leave their family and their friends, and to go to Japan. They are on mission for Christ there. That is their calling And it is beautiful. And it is our pleasure and our privilege to be able to support them in that. But the rest of us are here. And as we are here, we are on no less of a mission than Tom and Karen are there in Japan. And it's nothing against what Tom and Karen are doing. They're doing exactly what Christ has called them to do. Very important kingdom work. They're there. They're where they're supposed to be that you and I are on an equally important mission. And it's so crucial for us to see it that way, to see our lives as on mission. Christ has saved us from the power of sin and he has called us to be on a mission. For the vast majority of us, Jesus is giving us the same mission that he gave this man who was formerly possessed by these demons. He says, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Right before he ascended back up into heaven, the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples were recorded in Acts 1 8. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Christ outlined the geographical expansion of the Gospel. That through the disciples, that it was going to, the Gospel was going to start in Jerusalem, expand to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that was how the Gospel was going to expand geographically. But it also expands in our relationships. If we look at it another way. When God calls us to mission where we are, to our hometown, He's calling us to, to our families, to those who are close to us, to witness to our children and our, our spouses, uh, our our parents and our grandparents. Our mission starts in our homes. God gives us a mission field within our own families, those who are close to us. And then it expands out to, to relationships outside of our families, to friends, to co workers to neighbors, and this takes courage, a a certain boldness, uh, taking advantage of opportunities, seeing opportunities when they arrive, even praying for opportunities to be witnesses to those who are around us. And then it expands further to those on the fridge, those outside of our our social circles, to to everyone we meet, going outside of our comfort zone, Um, just like it expands geographically, the gospel. I think when it comes to being a witness, I just feel like we have a tendency to make it more complicated than it needs to be. You know, if God has changed our life through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through this good news that we are saved from our sins, then our lives are different. And we simply need to live the change. There's a great illustration of this. And uh, it may be a familiar illustration to you but it's a man who lived in Australia. But before I get there, there was a pastor. He was a pastor in a church in London. And during a a service one Sunday morning, a man stood up and asked if he could share his testimony. And the pastor agreed. And so the man said that he had recently been in Sydney, Australia. He was doing some shopping and he was walking down a street. It was George Street. And as he was walking, up, a white-haired old man popped out of a shop and handed him a pamphlet, said, Are you saved? Do you know if you would if you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? The man said that he was disturbed by the question. And as he came back to London, he spoke to a friend, he read the pamphlet, and at that point he gave his life to Christ. Well, the next week, this, this same pastor uh, was traveling and he he was speaking at a church in southern Australia. And a woman came to him after the service for counseling. And he, he wanted to gauge kind of where she was at in her walk with the Lord. And he asked her if she would share his tes- her testimony with him. She said that she had recently been in Sydney, Australia. She was walking down George Street when a white-haired old man popped out of a shop and handed her a pamphlet and said, are you saved? If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven. She was disturbed by the question. And after reading the pamphlet and talking to others, she came back to her church and she gave her life to Christ. Well, this pastor continued to travel and the next week he was speaking at a conference in Perth in Western Australia. And after the conference, he goes to lunch with an elder of the church. And he asked the elder, how did you become a Christian? He shared his testimony. He said a while ago, I was in Sydney, Australia. And he told the story of the same white-haired old man who had handed him a pamphlet and asked, are you saved? If you, if you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? And because of that man, This elder later gave his life to Christ. Well, this pastor went back to the UK and he shared these three testimonies at another conference that he was speaking at. And afterwards, three more people came forward and shared the same testimony. Later on, he was traveling again across the ponds, this time down in the Caribbean. He shared this testimony. And four more people came to him with the same testimony about this white-haired old man in Sydney, Australia. He later went to Atlanta where he was meeting with some Navy chaplains and the head chaplain had this same testimony. Later on that year, the pastor traveled to India. He was there for another conference, and afterwards, the head of the conference in India shared his testimony with this pastor. He had been a diplomat, living in living in Sydney, Australia. One day he found himself shopping on George Street. When a white-haired old man popped out of a shop and handed him a pamphlet said, Are you saved? If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? And soon after that, this diplomat gave his life to Christ. Well, this pastor finally had a chance himself to travel to Sydney, Australia. And while he was there, he asked one of the local pastors if he knew a man on George Street who had been sharing the gospel. And the pastor knew him. He did. He said, yes, I know him. That's Mr. Gnor. The man said, I want to meet him. So they met Mr. Ganor at his house. And Mr. Ganor shared his testimony that when he was younger, he worked on a ship and he lived a reckless life. And one night he was led to Jesus and his life changed dramatically. And from that point on, he knew his life was different. And he was so in love with Jesus that he wanted to share Him with ten people a day. So for the next 40 years, he shared the Gospel with as many people as he could from outside his shop on George Street. Mr. Gennor said he had many rejections, but some people took the track some people did take the pamphlets. The pastor went on to share his experience and the number of people, the number of people who had come to Christ because of Mr. Gennor's witness. And just as mine are doing right now, Mr. Gennor's eyes filled with tears. He said, in all the years, in all the years of sharing the gospel, he had never heard of one person. He had never heard of one person who had come to Christ before today. The amount of people that he was able to share the gospel with and the amount of lives that were changed is incredible because of his faithful witness of stopping people on George Street and sharing the gospel with them. But I don't want us to to focus on the numbers. I, I want us to focus on the way that he did it. He simply did it from his shop, from the place where he was. The appreciation for what Christ had done for him, of what Christ had done for him, drove him to share the love of Christ with others. He did it simply. He did it intentionally. He did it faithfully. And he did it right, where he was. It doesn't have to be complicated. Jesus has changed our lives. We simply need to live the change. So in conclusion, Jesus saves us from our sins and He saves us to a mission. Christ has traveled across the lake of our hearts to rescue us. Sinners who were hostile to God, who were enemies of God. Christ has ex- exercised His power over demons, over Satan, over death. He has conquered sin by dying on the cross and rising again from the dead so that when we place our faith and our trust in Him, we are united to Christ. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. Like this man who was possessed by the demons, we were naked in our sin. But through faith in Christ Jesus, God has clothed us with Christ's righteousness. And when Jesus saves us from our sins, He saves us to mission. May all of our lives declare how much God has done for us through Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in Heaven, I thank You for what You have done for us through Your Son, Jesus Christ. That You have saved us from our sin. I pray that You would continue to reveal our sin to us. That we would understand that apart from Christ, we are like this man who is possessed by the demon. That we are hostile towards You. That we are Your enemies. But through Your great love for us, You have come to us. You have sought us out. You have come across the lake of our hearts to rescue us through your son's death and through his resurrection. I pray that the seeds of the gospel would truly take root in our lives. That we would understand what you have saved us from and that you have saved us to a mission. Lord, by the power of your spirit, help us to live the change. That we would be faithful in our witness to you. That we would share the gospel where we are at. To know that we were on a mission. Because you have faithfully saved us. And now you are faithfully calling us to be witnesses for you. Heavenly Father, help us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.